Shall I use this or this? Am I on? Okay, okay. I'll put this over here. Good morning, everyone. Wow, we were telling last night. Rich and I were here just about a year ago exactly, and I had I, I was asked to speak on the cross. And so here we are a year later, and I'm going to speak on the cross and evil. So it's kind of a fun thing, but I love this sermon series. So my husband Rich is here. We live in Edmonds, Washington. We've just celebrated 25 years. Both of us, it's our second marriage. So altogether, Rich has been married for 55 years. So between his first wife that he lost to cancer and then with me for 25 years. So we have a blended family of eight children, spouses, and 23 grandchildren. So we have a really full, abundant life that we're so grateful for. So let's pray. Father, sustainer of all of life, every breath we take, we are so grateful. Jesus, King of heaven, Lord of lords, King of kings, our friend and our brother, we worship you this morning. We exalt you to the highest place, the highest place that we can even do that in our own hearts, we offer to you this morning, Lord. And Holy Spirit, continuing the ministry of Jesus here in our midst, we welcome you, we welcome you. We ask you now to open our hearts to whatever word it is that you want to speak to us individually and collectively as a body this morning. So come, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are so welcome, and we pray that you would light on the words that bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this series. I mean, people don't really want to talk about sin these days, do they? In 21st century America, it's kind of a hard thing to talk about, but the framing of the vandalism of shalom is such a beautiful way to, to talk about sin because it affects every one of us, right? Um, this morning, I, I titled my sermon, Sin is Our Only Hope, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes, okay? So uh, I watched the last two weeks, and Jace did an amazing job of setting it up, um, talking about what is shalom, God's perfect will, God's will being done, everything is right, everything is okay. These little kids that were up here dancing could have been dancing with lions, and it would have been okay. It was, you know, the, the, the thorns and the thistles, we wouldn't have to weed, everything would be beautiful. Shalom was perfect, everything relationship with God, relationship with one another, and relationship with God's good creation. And then we know um, when we get to Genesis chapter 3, it all got vandalized. So thank you, Jace. And then last week, Marshall talked about a few things, but one of the things I heard Marshall say a couple of times was he this call to repentance, meaning we're going the wrong way. We have to turn and go a different way. But instead of me going through that, I'm just going to show you a clip. wants to race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! <laughs> he said we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how 
would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. What a moron. <laughs> They're going in the wrong direction! <laughs> You're going to kill somebody! Sometimes when you're going the wrong way, it can be deadly. So repentance is all about someone saying, you're going the wrong way. And in light of what you're hearing, you turn and you go a different way. A lot of us, all the time, we lose track. We get on the wrong track. We get on the long, wrong path. And if we are in a community that is willing to in love, call those things out, we can course correct and get back on the right path. And it could save us a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of destruction. Um, in the book, Breviary of Sin, that we're, we're preaching from, Dr. Plantiga says this, God is for shalom and therefore against sin. In fact, we may safely describe evil as any spoiling of shalom. So my title, Sin is Our Only Hope, is actually a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Speaking of Sin, and she says this, Sin is our only hope because the recognition that something is wrong is the first step towards setting it right again, right? So somebody's saying, you're going the wrong way. Oh, I'm going to wake up to somebody, I'm, I'm aware that something is wrong and I had, need to do something different. So today, I want to look at this through a different lens. Just for a few moments, we're in the season of Lent. And I just want to take a moment to think about the season of Lent. We, in the lectionary, when we go through the season of Lent, we see that in the opening of Lent, one of the first texts is Jesus comes to the River Jordan to be baptized. Because remember, John the Baptist is calling Israel to repent. What does that mean? He's calling them to repent. He's saying, look, he, he has this revelation from God. This, we're all people of God, we're going the wrong way. You need to come to the river in order to repent, to turn our lives around and align, reset our lives with the, the way that God has us to go. So Jesus comes to the river. He's literally saying, come and be baptized for your repentance of sin. Jesus comes to the river and what does John say? Wait a minute, here's the Lamb of God. Here's the one we were waiting for. I cannot, I'm not even worthy to lace your sandals, let alone baptize you. But Jesus submits to baptism even though he was sinless. And what happens at his baptism? Heaven opens up when he comes out of the water and we hear the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit is there. Jesus gets filled with the Spirit. And then what happens? He's compelled to the wilderness where he encounters the most intense spiritual warfare. But let's not, let's not skip a step. I feel like we cannot deal with sin in our lives unless we are absolutely baptized in the love of God. 
It's the only way. If we don't, if we are not just absolutely immersed in the love of God and then able to look at the darkness in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own, we just, what happens is it, we're too ashamed. We can't handle it. We, we feel too ashamed. And so we internalize things and then we just go in cycles of this sin. We get caught in this, this like hamsters on the thing that they spin. We'll just keep doing it and we'll feel guilty. And then we'll have some relief for a while because we've done it. And then we go back to it. And I'm not even just talking about all the addictions we could talk about right now from you know, sex to drugs to rock and roll. Hello. Um, <laughs> rock and roll is not a sin. M maybe some, but anyway, let's not go rabbit trail, Rose. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Because there's other ways that we fall short and get off the path. Like maybe taking responsibility for someone's life that you're not asked to take responsibility for. So it actually becomes invasive and you're caretaking and you're, you're robbing people of their individual dignity. I mean, that's, that is a way of getting on the wrong path. Um, and we could go through a whole list, but I'm not going to do that right now because what I really want to say is in order for us to look at our own lives honestly before the Lord, we have to know how much we're loved by God. We have to know any of you that are parents, any of you that are grandparents, you, any of you that are aunts and uncles, any of you that love a small child, you know that it, you discipline them out of love unless you're evil, which... Some of us are. Some of us have had evil in our lives that way. So today we're going to look at sin through the lens of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. So Galatians 1.15 says this. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. What's he, gonna, he's, what's he rescuing us from? This present evil age. What is this present evil age and why does it matter? Well, let's just have a quick little history on the kingdom of God and some big words like inaugurated eschatology. Okay, so all eschatology is is the study of end times, right? And there's so many ways that people interpret what's happening in the end times. But here is just a little scale. We're not gonna get into it all. But really, eschatology is the study of last things. And in the kingdom, we believe that when Jesus came, he inaugurated the, the last days. So what you see is the Old Testament period. God was reigning. Yes, of course, he was on the throne and reigning. But when Jesus came, when Jesus was incarnated, came from heaven to this earth, you can see in the, in the diagram, he inaugurated that kingdom. He brought heaven to earth. And basically what it says here, According to Greg Boyd, a scholar, the cosmos consists, I'm sorry, sorry, wait, wrong, back up. Um, this inaugurated kingdom Jesus brought, he introduced heaven on earth through his life, his death, and resurrection. So what is happening right now is we are living in the already of this kingdom that he brought from heaven, 
and the not yet of this kingdom, because until he comes again, it will not be fully consummated, right? So we live in this in-between time. That's where we find ourselves, in this period of the in-between times, where we have in-breakings of the kingdom of God. And honestly, I wanna say, when we have an in-breaking of the kingdom of God, we are experiencing shalom. Because shalom is where God's will is done. So every time we experience a healing, we are experiencing the kingdom of God. We are experiencing the shalom of God. Every time we reconcile with an enemy, we are experiencing shalom. We're experiencing the kingdom of God. Every time we see someone delivered from a demonic oppression, we are experiencing the shalom, the kingdom of God. So just keep that in your mind. So these are the times that we live in. Couple of more texts. In John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is why Jesus came. But this tells us what the enemy does. What evil does, what evil does is he wants, evil wants to mar the image of God in every one of our souls. He actually, evil wants to erase it. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes that we may have life and have it to the full. In Mark 10, 45, it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's look at evil. Evil is not just personal. It's structural and spiritual. This little chart, I'm not gonna go into because this could be a whole study class. But basically, According to Boyd, the cosmos consists of more than just Western religions believe, right? The notion that there exists a council or a society of divine beings between humans and God who, like us, have free wills and can therefore influence the flow of history for better or for worse, it's, it's obviously jarring to us with a Western worldview that doesn't make these assumptions, that there is other things going on that we can't see, that are just beyond a veil, that realm of where God is at work, where we can't see with our natural eyes, where demonic beings actually are, are, are let loose. Boyd does another quote, the war of the Lord is finished and the great blow is struck. Never again can Satan tempt Christ as he did in the desert, Jesus is now Lord, rescuer, liberator, and conqueror. But a war is not finished. A conflict does not cease with the striking of a decisive blow. The enemy remains with the scattered remnants of his army and in pockets here and there with strong resistance that will continue. Still, Satan's army initiates fights with people. The outcome of these spiritual skirmishes seem to look like bad things that happen to good people. Think about D-Day, June 6, 1944, in World War II, on which the Allied forces invaded northern France by means of the beach landings in Normandy. The war was won, yet it took two more years for it to totally end. There were skirmishes for two more years. But can you imagine prisoners of war in the South Pacific that didn't know the war had ended? And when finally liberators came and opened and said, actually, the war ended a year ago, can you imagine 
being a prisoner of war and having the, the, the prison doors open and being just told you're free. That's what Jesus did for us. That is how every single human being is on earth. This is what Jesus did. He, he fought the powers. He, he gave the, the blow that would end the war, but we live in between the times. And so until Jesus comes back to fully consummate that, all of these skirmishes with the enemy are going on. And we are the people of God that are called into that battle. I really hate using the war analogy right now, can I just say, because of what's going on in our world. I'm just trying to use the language from the scripture because we fight a war very differently than how we do in, in natural. I'm going to get to that. Okay, are you with me? All right. So here, we're going to keep that up. Here's where the, it gets played out. Now, I want to just keep the, um, the, can you put the slide up that has the evil on it? Thank you. Because I don't have time to get into this, but in the Old Testament, the Hebrews had a way of, of um, dealing with evil. And they did. That, that's where this heavenly council comes from, that there were angels that went bad. And they were, before that, they were part of the heavenly council. They met with the God. They had this whole way of thinking about how evil came to the world, right? And so that, that carried up until the intertestamental times, like the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament was written. It was like 400 years of silence. But when you study that time in history and read the Apocrypha books, this is when evil really became manifest for people like evil spirits were being cast out. They were manifesting. But so by the time Jesus gets on the scene, everybody there is super familiar with people needing deliverance from evil spirits. Like it wasn't a strange thing. And they believed that people had authority over these spirits and especially God's authority. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he starts bringing deliverance to people where some of the people of God thought these people shouldn't be delivered because they're so bad, people got really mad at him, right? Like, I mean, think about the, the Luke chapter four when Jesus announces, I've come to set captives free. I've come to deliver those in chains. I've come to, for the poor. I, and then he was in a synagogue. And what happens directly after that? He had to run for his life. People of God were mad. They were going to throw him off a cliff because he actually talked about bringing deliverance to people outside of the Jews. And the Jews were like, hold on here a moment. We are the pure people of God. We are the chosen people. Don't start talking about bringing deliverance to the people. I mean, they got mad, you guys. I mean, honestly, they got so mad all through the rest of his life, every time he did something to bring freedom, liberation, and rescue to those that were being oppressed and held, the people of God kept getting really mad until the point they crucified him. And I just think we have to think about that right now in our time, how we fight evil. Because here on that, on that um, slide, it says, the battleground right now for us is human structures and systems and human individuals. We can't separate them. We cannot separate the fact that um, there is structural and societal evil. Think about it. Slavery is evil. The caste system in India is evil. Anytime we subjugate one human being over another, we know we have stepped into evil. It's not right. 
We are all, the, the cross leveled the playing field. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross, everyone. And so whenever we start subjugating any human over another, we know that we're touching evil. Just remember that, sexism, racism, any ism that subjugates one over another, it's evil. When we think about genocides, in 2010, I led a doctoral cohort to Rwanda to study uh, reconciliation in post-genocide Rwanda. Do you guys know the story in Rwanda? 1994, 800,000 people were literally slaughtered in, in a matter of 90 days. They were, they were killing each other with machetes, their neighbors, the, the, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and it was a genocide, a, a cleansing. This is evil. I was there for two weeks, and it took me months to recover because I'd never, ever, ever been in the company of so much evil as listening to story after story after story of genocide. People that, that turned in their parents turned on their neighbors next door. And at the time that that genocide happened, Rwanda was 94% a Christian country. You tell me how that kind of evil takes hold in a society when we, play, when we claim we follow Jesus. We can look at that going on right now in the church in Russia with Ukraine. We can never join with any government to perpetrate evil. It is not our calling as followers of Jesus. We can talk about Rwanda, Germany, World War II. I mean, we're not even that far out of that. What was it, 12 million people were exterminated? No, 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 no. This is societal and structural evil. Okay. When we engage, when we say yes to Jesus, and we say yes, we are gonna be people that bring peace we are gonna be people that, to the best of our ability in our obedience, will help bring shalom in our own lives. It has to start in our own lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods. When we say yes to that kind of work, guess what happens? You might get retaliated against. <laughs> Evil fights back, I'm not kidding. And I'm not saying that to scare us. I'm saying that because we have to be wise. We have to be wise, we have to be respectful. Jesus won, so we have authority, we don't have to be afraid, but we can't ignore it either because that's, that's evil's best way to get us, is to try to make us think it's not real. It is real. When you say yes, you will get retaliated against, and that's why I love this church, because you guys pray so much. And that is one of the best ways to fight back, is through prayer. Let's read that. How do we fight this war? I can tell you in the words of Dallas Willard, it's not by being the gatekeepers for the culture wars. That's not what we're called to, to fight the culture wars. Sorry if that offends you, but that is not the battleground we're called to fight on. Because what Willard says, what, when we're fighting the culture wars, what we're trying to do is fight a battle and keep the gospel of sin management rather than the gospel of freedom and deliverance and love of God for the sinner. So how do we fight this war? Paul gives us some concrete ways. In Ephesians chapter six, it says this, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. How do we get strong in the Lord and the strength of his power? It's by being immersed in the presence of God over and over and over again. In your prayer life, alone, at home, with your small group here at church, worship. This is how we get filled with the Spirit over and over again. We put ourselves in the way of grace to be filled with the presence of the Lord and his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Remember what Paul said? We live in this present evil age. And what I'm telling you guys is the reason that evil is rampant is because of these rulers and authorities, these cosmic powers that are present. We can't ignore them. We have to always remember when we're fighting this war that is different than fighting it in the natural is we cannot dehumanize the other. So when Paul says we, it's not flesh and blood, our enemy is never our brother, ever, 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 ever. There's people right now on the national scene that I would like to just cuss out. But I'm telling you right now, I cannot, I mean, when I went to Rwanda, honestly, if you study the history of that genocide, it started by dehumanizing the other. They were called cockroaches. When you hear political leaders calling people dehumanizing names as followers of Jesus, we need to pray against those words. We need to say, no, Lord. We will not partake in dehumanizing the other. I don't care how much I think that this leader might be evil and doing the wrong thing. I cannot, I, I'll tell you, no, I would not go there. Um, I don't wanna to touch political hot buttons because they're all over the map these days and I don't wanna do that. Honestly, that's not my role. My role is to say, I don't care who you are. As a follower of Jesus, we are never ever given permission to dehumanize the other. Can we speak the truth in love and call people to account like you're going the wrong way? Absolutely. Especially when people are heading down a, a road to destruction. Absolutely, we call them out. We tell them the truth, but we do it in love and we do not dehumanize. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox. Um, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand, withstand on that evil day and have done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Holy moly, where do we live right now? False, whatever, false truths, what do we even call it now? I don't even know, like everything is pretty much a lie. I mean, if we don't become the sons of Issachar to discern the times right now, we, I, I'm so happy that Lane is doing this class, you guys, because honestly, prophetic people need to be, like honed into the spirit of God right now, being able to discern the times because there is so much lying going on. So we have to be people that know what is true. We need to preach the true word of God. We need to preach the gospel. We put it around our waist. We put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Okay. The breastplate of righteousness protects our heart, our chest in battle. What is righteousness other than putting things right? 
That's all it means. I know that we want to, and it can mean more than that, of course, with the morality and all of that. But I think what we've done for the last 100 years is we've made righteousness more morality than putting things right. And we got to flip that script, you guys, because if we work on putting things right, we will become moral people. But if we hone in, as Dallas says, on the gospel of sin management, that just makes people feel shame and it digs them into cycles of not being able to get free. That's why this love of God is so important. It doesn't mean we condone everything. It doesn't mean we, but we have to have a breastplate of putting things right. Shoes. For your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. What makes you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace? Really, I think I'm going to talk about that in a minute. With all of these, take the shield of faith. The shield of faith that says, Jesus, I believe what you did. I believe what you did. I believe you made things right. And I trust you with my life. A lot of it is mysterious because I don't know why things happen the way they happen, but I don't care. At the end of the day, I will say, I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you. I may not understand. That shield of faith will help you quench the flames and arrows of the evil one, which I'm telling you right now, when you say yes to Jesus, flames and arrows will come your way. So you got to be, just know how to put them out. Really, it's, you just you put on that shield of faith, you pray, you take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always preserve in supplication for all the saints. Look at how many times Paul mentions prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known the boldness with the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it as boldly as I must speak. In Psalm 139, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, we can talk about evil, societal, structural evil, but really what we have to do that, we can be activists and fight against it, but honestly, we cannot fight against that unless we deal with our own hearts. It has to start in our own hearts. So right now, I want us to just um, posture your heart to be open, How, whatever that means for you. If you want to close your eyes, just, I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit, open our hearts, because we know this has to start with us, Lord. We know, Lord, and we pray with the psalmist, search us, God, and know our hearts. Test us. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us. So, Lord, where there is pride, we ask that you would, you would bring humility. Lord, where there's greed in our own hearts, we ask that you would loosen those chains and make us generous. Lord, where there is lust, whether it's for sexual things or other lusting after other things, we ask, Lord, that you will come and you will replace that with, with um, abundance, knowing that there is an abundance in you, Lord. 
God, for anger that is turned to bitterness and hatred, we ask, Lord, that you in our own hearts, that you would wash over anger that is turned to bitterness and hatred and instead, Lord, turn it into a way to make things right. Whether it's through forgiveness, reconciliation, or working on something that's gone terribly wrong, we ask that you would give us the grace to make that right. Lord, a big one that destroys lives is envy. We ask, Lord, that you look over our hearts. See, is there any envy there? Envy that brings divisiveness in our community. Lord, I pray that in place of envy, you would bring charity, love. Melt our hearts for love for anyone that we might envy. So God, we pray this morning for our own hearts that you will come. You will wash away malice, divisiveness, pointing of the finger, we ask that you come now, sweep through and wash our hearts, God. We open our hearts to you this morning because we want to be people of peace. We want to be people that preach the gospel of peace. The gospel that brings rescue, liberation, salvation, and your shalom. We pray for that now in the name of Jesus. Amen.